Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We spend a little moment to center ourselves in prayer in cloudy days like this one we need the son of God to shine his light on us and I want to spend a moment today rather just on ourselves focused attention on NYU's event uh, as Paul comes up to preach today first I would like to say that uh, NYU will be the first event where the hard print of my book will be given out to 250 students, 250 students. Um, and an another thing I'd say is, uh, with the announcement, I do not want to be celebrated for writing the book every week, because it's exhausting. Um, or promoting the book, that's not the point. Uh, I want you to forget I wrote the book permanently when we put it up here, because it's like, oh, you wrote the book, let's no. It's just think of me as an author you don't know and separate it like Sarah Young, uh, like Paul Tripp, um, and it will completely just be a resource for evangelism where you don't even need to mention me because that's not a, I didn't write it uh, to be an author or to sell it or anything, market it. I wrote it 100%, the heart of it, is to reach those who don't know Christ in the context of deep people who, you know, are skeptical of faith and written in a way where they will understand. And also someone who's struggling in their faith to see the validity of the gospel. So look at, look at it completely like the devotionals in the cafe. It's an instrument to introduce someone to faith. Um, it's not about me and I don't want it to be about me and I don't, care about how many copies it sells, I care that it's actually read. Because when it's read, I believe it will change people's lives. And as the wind of the spirit is blowing, it is going to Notre Dame and Yale and Harvard and many other places. And God is moving that way. And I just want us to be a catalyst and take that responsibility. So let's pray uh, for 180 Fellowship as they hand out this care package, it'll be the first time a secular environment will receive the book in print before it comes out in April next year. And the books will be here by mid-November for everyone here who pre-ordered to read early. Um, so let's pray for this event, for the gospel opportunity, and focus completely on the gospel. And Paul's going to come up and make it about Jesus and the gospel. Amen? All right, let's pray together right now. Will you just lift your hands right now to uh, NYU's campus? Um, pray for the fellowship, fellowship students in this event, care package event. Father, we want to pray today as a community anchored in mission, 
in obedience. Evangelism is not a gift for the few. It is a responsibility for all Christians. You commanded us, all of us, to go teaching, baptizing, and instructing and make disciples. And today, God, we want to pray for NYU. We want to pray that the care package event itself has been a beacon of hope for many within a secular environment and creating a framework and a bridge for many other churches, not even our only church or ministries, for people to be exposed to the gospel. And we want to pray, God, that every church, every club would begin conversations, gospel conversations that would lead to people coming to know you and your love for you and your love for them. And we want to pray your hand of favor on it today. All God's people pray. All right, Paul will come up. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> we want to celebrate him. Cool. Uh, first slide. Um, so last time we I spoke up here, uh, we investigated the topic of blessing. Uh, you should remember this diagram or this picture uh, or being blessed. And we define blessing as a foreshadowing of good, a vision of flourishing, a hope that originates from God. So that's how we define blessing. And to quickly recap, uh, we covered the following. So I'm just going to four points. Uh, blessings are not primarily about what God promises, do, promises to do to someone. It's primarily about what God is going to do through someone. So that being point one. We find examples in the Bible of individuals, families, um, who choose to pursue God's vision of flourishing by abiding in God or apart from God. So we find those types of examples within the Bible. And notably, we looked at the life of Jacob, uh, a man who already blessed by God, but chose to wrestle with God and with others to seize the blessing by his own hand. So we looked at that example. And so today, uh, next slide, um, I want to explore how we abide in God. Um, so, so last time was the what, and now is the how. And to do that, I want to investigate the roots of another word, uh, another significant term that's used in the Hebrew Bible. And as you can probably guess, it's the word on the screen. And that word is Shema. Everyone with me now, Shema. <laughs> All right. So uh, the word that's typically translated uh, as hear or to listen, as you can see on the screen, uh, with additional connotations and nuances, and we'll explore those today. Um, so today, um, we're going to look at the different facets of this word, their implications for spiritual practice, and some thoughts on what that could mean in a personal context. So what is Shema? Um, the word Shema appears 1,159 times in the Bible, and most notably, the word Shema is a mental hyperlink to what the passage that we read, Deuteronomy 6, uh, specifically Deuteronomy 6.4 um, and associated passages. But in it, Moses implores the people of Israel to Shema, or to hear, O Israel, and that's captured in the phrase, hear, O Israel. And this uh, call to listen, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, eventually became a prayer for the Israelites. 
So that thing that we just read um, is a prayer that is spoken on a daily basis. And they named this prayer, the Shema, after the first word in the prayer. So in English translations of the Bible, the word Shema uh, typically appears as to hear, to listen, and to obey. And while those translations are sufficient for just us understanding the basic concept, um, I hope that by the end of this message that um, you'll find them lacking um, because it goes a lot deeper. And so, uh, yeah. Um, so the typical problem that happens with translation is that we read in modern understandings of English words into ancient words, meaning we take in all the baggage from the English, hear, listen, obey, and we transfer them on into the Hebrew term and those either don't exist or it's different. And so we end up coming up with weird applications for things. Um, and so I'll give ex an example of this in the next slide. So next slide. So on the screen, there are three passages. Uh, hopefully you can read them. But uh, we have Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 27, and Proverbs 8. So I'll read them aloud, and then we'll go through Psalm 27. So Deuteronomy 26. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord Shemad our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs of wonder, signs and wonders. Um, so that's, think about what Shabbat could mean in that context. Like if it was like a blank line, what word fits there? Um, Psalm 27, Shema, my voice, when I call Lord, be merciful to me and ask me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. And then Proverbs 8. Now then, my children, Shema to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Shema to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who Shema to me, watching <laughs> daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor in the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves, all who hate me love death. Okay, so just in these three examples, um, if you really think about it, I didn't give you enough time to think about it, but if you really think about it, there are many possibilities uh, for the meaning of Shema beyond hearing. So if we just translated it as hear, it would be fine, but there's a lot of other words that in our mind we can throw in there and it would still make sense. Um, for example, in Psalm 27, the psalmist is asking God to listen, um, Shema my voice when I call Lord, right? So Shema my voice, hear my voice, or listen to my voice when I call Lord. But what he really means is show me mercy, right? He's not saying God, literally just hear me. He's saying God, show me mercy, um, which really means God, please respond. Please do something about my situation. Um, because when we cry out to God, we're not literally asking God to simply hear our prayer or pay attention. Um, what, we're, what we really mean is for God to do something about my situation and to help me. Um, and so in English, we might capture the action of hearing, uh, attending to, and doing as separate words and actions. But to the psalmist, uh, it's all the same thing. It's all one word. Um, and so that entire chain of thought gets captured in the single word. Uh, in Hebrew, the hearing, the drawing, drawing your attention, the focusing, and the responding in action is all captured in the word Shema. Okay, so next slide. 
So what can we deduce from all the ways that the word Shema is used in scripture? Uh, is, is that it's not describing an isolated action. It's describing a process that begins with hearing and ends with obedient action. So in other words, when I hear something, I Shema. When I focus my attention on that something, I Shema. When I respond according to what I heard, I Shema. And when I hear, but I fail to internalize or respond, I fail to Shema. So if I miss any of the steps that come in between hearing and acting upon what I heard, I fail to Shema. Okay, just keep that in mind. Why? Because we need to ask ourselves, did I really hear something if I don't recall it? And if I don't recall it, can I internalize it? And if we don't internalize it, can we really act upon it? Like it's all one thing. Um, if you, yeah, if you think about it. And so today we'll explore the process of Shema. We'll go through each one of these steps, the hearing, the reciting, the meditating, and the obeying aspects of Shema and their implications for spiritual practice. Cool, first slide. Hearing. So it goes without saying that hearing is fundamental to our lived experience. Um, way before we learn to read, we learn to hear the words spoken to us by our parents and we learn to listen. Um, and likewise, before we were able to read the Word of God, we heard it read aloud somewhere by our parents in gatherings like this one. We heard the Word of God. Um, and so much of Scripture originated from an oral tradition in predominantly unread or illiterate communities. And so the stories collected in the Bible were shared by word of mouth for years or decades before they were ever put into print or ever written down. So you could argue that the original purpose of a written or printed Bible was so that it could be read aloud in shared spaces to God's assembled people um, to both tell the story of who they are and where they came from, but also to invite those assembled people and those able to hear into relationship with God. So that's the purpose of a written word. Now, even the Gospels, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus were exclusively shared with an oral tradition, so they were just talked about, for 40 years before there was any written gospel. So, meaning Mark was written 40 years later, after the death of Jesus. Our first writer in the New Testament, Paul, and his first letter was dated around 50 to 52, meaning 20 years post-Jesus, right? So, the first letter came 20 years past Jesus. Uh, and so between the death of Jesus and the writing of Mark 40 years later, uh, the community surrounding Jesus was clearly telling stories. That's all they did for 40 years. They were just telling each other stories about Jesus. They were passing on the tradition of what happened to Jesus, what he stood for, what he did um, orally by telling it and retelling it over and over again. And sometimes the stories may be sequenced differently or they might be abridged, but these stories were told and retold again and again. And so when we attend service, when we listen to sermons, testimonies, stories of people's weeks, we are participating in the same oral tradition or placing ourselves in spaces where we can hear and share good news. All right, next slide. Now, if you only hear something once, have you really heard it? Returning to the idea that a large part of the Bible is based around an oral culture, and recalling and reading the Bible aloud in public in, in community, um, it would have been quite normal to hear sacred texts, the Torah or other texts, read aloud in public areas. That was the norm back then. 
or for followers of Jesus to invite groups of people into their homes to hear the letters of Paul read aloud. That was normal. Um, and in doing so, they created experiences um, together revolving around the hearing of good news, right? Um, to hear, to rehear, to tell, to retell the story of who they are and where they came from. And to be invited again and again into relationship with God. That was the norm. And if you think about it, getting people together to read the Bible aloud um, is a simple idea. Like, it requires no prep. It develops community in a different way. And you don't need to prepare a message. You barely need facilitation skills. All you need to do is create a space for listening to the Bible, right? And when you hear the good news in its entirety over and over, you stop thinking about the verses and you start thinking about books and how they come together to tell the story about Jesus. And so if this was how Jesus followers in the past encounter the word, where and how do people in the modern era encounter the word? Um, they might you know, encounter in worship services like this one. They might hear a few verses read aloud or a section of the Bible in part of a sermon. Um, but if that's their only exposure to the Bible, one paragraph at a time, we miss the forest by staring at trees. Um, these books were written as books uh, that were meant to be understood as complete books. And so imagine seeing memes online of popular movies, but never actually watching the movie. I mean, that's lame. Uh, or exposing yourself to quotes from famous books, but not actually reading those books, right? Um, so if this seems odd to you, we need to rethink our consumption of the Bible, right? Because we do that all the time, uh, yeah, without even thinking about it. So next, next slide, okay. So what happens when you take a section of the Bible and you recite it regularly? Well, you arrive at something like the Shema. So like I said in the beginning, in addition to the word Shema being a process of learning and obeying, uh, listening and obeying, the Shema is also Jewish meditation literature. It's something that they recite. Um, so the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 is a prayer that's recited every morning and every evening. Uh, and the tribe of Israel repeats this day and night to remind themselves of their allegiance to God. Um, and it's one of the first prayers learned by Jewish children. So what's recited, I'll read it aloud again, it's, it's on the screen. Uh, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hearts and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Um, and it continues. There are actually other verses associated with the Shema as well. This is just the beginning of it. Um, and we can tell that it contains biblical truths that they want to remind themselves. So for example, the Lord um, that rescued them out of Egypt is our God. When they say the Lord is our God, they're referencing specifically that one. Um, and this Lord alone is our God. Um, and for the Israelites, that was a big deal because everyone else was polytheist. Um, and so being a, a monotheistic, uh, one God religion was a big deal. And while we won't explore every line of the prayer today, you can imagine the potential effects of speaking these truths 
aloud to yourself on a daily basis, right? Um, so what's the point of rehearsing something like the Shema? What's the point? Why do they do this every morning and evening? Ultimately, the practice of reciting scripture day and night is a practice of speaking truth to ourselves despite ourselves, right? Calling ourselves into worship, especially in circumstances when we don't want to believe in those truths. That's the point. And this leads us into the next practice of meditation. All right, so heart picture. Next picture. Next slide. <laughs> All right, no, too, too many. Cool. Um, so contrary to a modern understanding of meditation associated with yoga and mindfulness, uh, sitting quietly, breathing, clearing the mind, uh, a, a biblical understanding of meditation is actually very different. Um, the most famous biblical uh, image of meditation probably comes from Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 1 to 3, uh, and I'll read it right now. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or uh, stand uh, in the stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Uh, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So Psalm one to three, uh, image of meditation. Starting from verse two, the blessed person is described as delighting in the Torah or in the scripture. This person delights in the law of the Lord. Um, and how do they delight? They meditate on the word day and night. Why, why are these two things associated? Um, what kind of person or what kind of action do you envision when you hear this, right? It's not, in my mind, I don't think about a person that's engaged in emptying their mind. That's not, that's not the point. This person that's you know, regurgitating the Bible to themselves is not clearing their mind. Um, the, the passage describes a person filling their mind with something that results in delight, something other than their own thoughts. The Hebrew word for meditation that's used here is hagah, and it means to meditate, to growl, or to mutter. Um, hagah is weird because it's actually um, a word that's associated with animals, because uh, specifically chewing. So the sound that you get when you chew is hagah. <laughs> uh, strange but that's the sound apparently that we make when we meditate. Um, and so <laughs> what is envisioned in Psalm 1 is a person that reads the Bible aloud, muttering to themselves day and night in order to focus on it. That is the image of a person that meditates day and night in Psalm 1. Um, and when you mutter the word every day, all the time, it fills your mind with a different set of thoughts, with a different set of ideas, with a different set of words um, that then shape how you process your own thoughts and your own life circumstances, right? Uh, and that's the point. You engage the word in this way so that it becomes what you think about, so that it becomes your perspective, your confidence, and your identity. And that's the kind of human that's engaging, uh, that engaging with the Bible is meant to produce. And so all, uh, so all this is so that we can reach the last facet of Shema, which is responding in action. So what does it then mean after we've you know, heard the word, we've recited the word, we've chewed on the word, and then <laughs> what, what's the action that results? Um, all right, so here I'm just going to read a passage from Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus responded, this is why I speak to them in parables. 
Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So like I said before, in Hebrew, there is no dedicated word for obedience. There is no word for obey. Um, and that word, obey, is wrapped up in the word shema. So hearing and obeying are inseparable. They're the same concept. Um, so if you want to say in the Bible, I want to hear and do what you say, shema covers both, right? The action and idea of listening and following through and obedience are represented by shema. And if someone were to really shema, hear and obey, they would act differently, right? And so all of a sudden, this passage makes a lot more sense. Like, hear without hearing? What does that mean? Um, so the act of hearing in, has to include the act of obedience. Um, because real listening, at least the way listening is represented in the Bible, uh, takes effort and it takes a lot of action. Next slide. So. Um, three more slides to go, but I will uh, end with a couple of thoughts that, um, of what all of this could mean in a personal context. So there are times in our lives when our own thoughts become all-consuming, right? Um, so from my own experience, instances of extreme disappointment in myself or in community, heartbreak, anxiety, depression, um, we just can't get out of our own head. Um, and we feel like we're stuck listening to the same song on repeat, that no matter how many times we meet up with people, tell them how it's going, there's no relief, there's no escaping our own thoughts. Um, we're stuck on loop, listening to the same soundtrack in our head. Um, because at some point, my ears have stopped listening. I found that in these moments, uh, putting ourselves in proximity to hear the word is so important. Because if you hear the word spoken to you, if you recite the words to yourself, if you let the word linger in your mind long enough to give you new thoughts about yourself and your situation, and if you start acting differently, how could you not be changed, right? And so we want to engage the word in hearing, in reciting, in meditation, and in obedience so that it becomes what we think about when we struggle, so that the good news becomes your perspective, your confidence, and your identity. All right, next slide. So personal story. After my first breakup, uh, I was an utter mess, like uh, pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I felt despondent, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Life was devoid of happiness. It's just bad. Um, if I had a spirit animal, it would be Christian Bale's Gore, the God Butcher, in Thor, Love and Thunder. Maybe that's too new of a reference, but it's, it's the guy that's like pale. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that was my spirit animal back in breakup land. Uh, when my mom found out, um, she flew out to Atlanta uh, as a show of support, but obviously her company wasn't doing much. I mean, she's just nagging, um, but it wasn't her. Um, so it wasn't her presence that pulled me out. <laughs> yeah, sorry, mom, uh, of my emotional, psychological, all-consuming black hole. Um, instead, what she did was she pointed me to this passage um, to read to reread until it sunk in. So that was what she told me to do for the next two, three months. All I did was read this passage. I didn't read anything else. I just read this. 
And so for the next months, I clung on to this passage as if my life depended on it. And so I'm just going to close by reading this. Um, so Isaiah 55. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will uh, freely pardon. Next slide. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for where I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And the trees in the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow juniper. Instead of briars, myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. It still hits hard. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. For me, this is all I can think about. And so I hope that if you're struggling with something, that the Bible would do the same for you. That you would cling on to something that would take you out of your own thoughts, out of your own head. Yeah. Amen. Let's all stand together. What an embodiment of living the word. You know, I always thought of the Shema and the idea of meditating. When Jesus was assaulted, fasting for 40 days, and, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, Jesus uses his meditation of scripture and wins the, that demonic battle in his head. And a lot of times, uh, the scriptures of that special temptation in Matthew 4, we don't know. Was it a physical conflict? Was Satan actually there? Or was it in the mind? Or was it in a different realm? We don't know. We can speculate. 
But I always think of Jesus quoting, and he says, it is written. Tell someone next to you, it is written. Now tell someone next to you what you know that's written. Now if you don't know what is written, you cannot recite it. Jesus knew it. And it kind of sounds like, you know, in Taekwondo, what do they say? Well, you know, I, I was a green belt. You know, it's hia. Tell someone hia. Okay, okay, that's a little bit weird, but the idea of the biblical idea of meditation is manifesting the authority given to you in the Word and manifesting it in the external world. That's what Jesus does in the temptation. He takes what is eternal and immaterial and he manifests and satan who is the strongest force in the universe besides the trinity has to obey even though jesus through kenosis abdicated his positional power as part of the deity the second person of the trinity which means that all of us as believers whatever we're struggling with when we recite the word of God back in authority, all demonic power has to flee. Amen? And that is so powerful. Paul reads the scriptures, recites it, and it fills him with the eternal truth of God and the power of God manifests. So today, I want us to practice this. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Whatever you might be struggling with in your life today, this promise of the Word of God becoming a sword. I want us to practice that reality today, right now. Paul doesn't say that you will be seated with Christ in the heavenly places when you die. Paul says you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ now. Right now. So whatever right now that you are struggling with, harassing thoughts, automatic thoughts, illuminating thoughts that are assaulting you or whatever situation, Take every thought captive right now in Jesus' name and say, I declare victory in Jesus' name. I am seated with Christ. I want you to recite that. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Not by my strength, but by His strength. By His resurrection power. By His obedience. By His authority. By His love. By his strength, I am seated with Christ. Let that become your authority to rebuke whatever harassing thoughts. Let's make this our prayer right now as we make this our prayer. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Be done, O Father. Here on earth, 
With Christ, we done, oh Father. this up in the next few minutes the authority you have as a believer and perhaps the greatest apologetic for why someone wants to invite Christ into their lives is that he has already achieved the victory in every struggle in your life and so the resurrection is a manifestation of what already is. Not will be, already is. That's the promise of the resurrection. The resurrection is something even Christ did not do himself. It's God that resurrected him. All it requires is faith. That's it. Say, God, you're going to do this. And so if Christ already done it, then what? It's yours. That's our hope. And that's why today the word really impressing me by the Holy Spirit is I am seated with Christ. Which means the enemy is lying. Tell someone next to you, the enemy is lying to you. Emphasize the lying, the participle. That's right. The enemy is lying to you. There is no never. Come on, Steph Curry taught us very well. I can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In the word of the Christian, if you really read the Bible and understood the resurrection, there is no I, I will never. It's I will in him. Not I never. I will. You will overcome. Tell someone next to you, you will overcome. You will. I will. Because Christ has already. So that's why the Bible becomes boring for people. If you think it's just about obscure passage of Scripture. As Paul beautifully and elegantly taught, you got to tell people next to you, you got to Shema, man. Tell me, you got you to Shema. someone is talking nonsense to you in small group yes but we learned the word this week 
And then in your inner life, say, I am seated with Christ. I am seated with Christ. Not will, I am. Let's pray together. Father, today we take every thought captive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are seated in Christ and through Christ in the heavenly realms. And every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms have been deposited by the Holy Spirit into us at this present moment that we do not access many times. Things work better when you turn them on. It's just a switch. And today, God, we turn on that power, that reality that you've given us. We claim it in Jesus' name. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. Go Shema now.